Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your financial guy, Brian Haney of The Haney Company, and I am thrilled to be interviewing a dear friend, Hillary Fordwich. And thank you for Pleasure. making the time today. I'm really excited. And I know just we go way back. And so we're going to have, I think, a lot of fun talking through a lot of the stuff that I know you're working yeah. on. Great. Brian. Um, but yeah. let's 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 have a little bit of fun getting to know you first. So first question, and these these are probably the hardest questions I'm going to ask. <laughs> what food will you not eat under any circumstance? Any junk food. I think it is absolutely amazing to me that people underestimate that our bodies are our temples and you are what you eat. Yeah. Um, something like 73% of our health is based on what we consume. There's a, there's a percentage, of course, which is genetic, but even major diseases, every major disease, every major health problem is basically you are what you eat. And yeah. the fact that most people eat meals that are zero in terms of vitamins, minerals, and enzymes yeah. horrifies me. And actually, I sort of find it so sad in the winter when everybody's getting sick. There's no reason to be sick. The only reason you're sick is a weak immune system. So yeah. I won't touch junk food. I love it. That's uh, uh, so hopefully an answer I think more people could identify with if they really thought about it. But people uh, always ask me, Hillary, how do you have so much energy? Well, I wake up like this because yeah. don't eat junk food, don't have a lot of any drugs or nicotine or a lot of I do love a glass of wine and I have that a couple of times a week um, to enjoy with a meal but I think you are what you eat and Absolutely. we're not built to consume garbage no and and certainly at our house with uh, some of our family dynamic we uh, we certainly appreciate that completely so that's a uh, yeah that's good that's we'll have that be hopefully a theme moving forward um, if you could be a superhero what superpower would you want to have I would like to live forever because I would like to see my children, what happens to them in the future, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-great-great-grandchildren. And also, I want to really see what's going to happen in the world. And if I could live forever, maybe I'd be wiser and wiser and be able to do more. I think as I get older, I've seen so much and done so much. I think as you get older, you get wiser. And then when you're really wise, that's when you could do a lot more for the world. And I think if we had a lot more respect for the elderly, like they do in Asian cultures. I think yeah. that would be a good thing. And I think that it would be beneficial to be able to make a difference to future generations with things that I've learned today. I love it. No, immortality, especially with the heart to use that wisdom yes. and, and, you know, impact multitude of generations. I think that that's such a... And not just my children, hopefully sure. other people like I do with clients. I, I love making a difference. It's my passion. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just, and also the ability to see impact to see things through. Yes. Like I really, I think that that's a, that's a good superpower. They actually, I, I mean, once read. Certainly better than my flying. No, well, I once read <laughs> that um, the most selfless act is to plant trees. Yeah. yeah you will really never really see them come to fruition. Yeah. No, you're so right. Absolutely. So if you could have, and you've, you've probably had dinner or, or meals with, <laughs> with several folks, but if you if there's one famous person that you could have a meal with that you haven't live or dead, who would that be? Elizabeth the first. All right. I don't know if you've read, but the one of the great business books or best business books I read was Elizabeth the first CEO. Hmm. She was obviously so far ahead of her time because if you think about the fact that she inherited a throne 
from a man who basically was obviously into kind of debauchery with his many wives. And he had run England into the ground. Uh, hmm. It was bankrupt. Yeah. It was They talk about the sick man of Europe when Margaret Thatcher inherited that from the socialists. Uh, but it was worse. It was a, England was in dire circumstances. And she came into, a, into power in a time when women weren't allowed to do anything, let alone read or write. And here's just a couple of facts of the things that she did. She learned multiple languages, which hmm. obviously women weren't, again, even taught to read in her era. We have yeah. to remember that so that she could understand what her, the ambassadors from different nations were saying behind her back and in her court. And when she would turn her back, she would talk to all of the foreign ministers and all of the ambassadors from other countries marching around the grounds of Hampton Court Palace and all the palaces. Why? Number one, she stayed in shape. She was fit. Hmm. She was healthy. But also she wanted to exhaust them. And she knew that... They, it was difficult for them to multitask, but she'd walk fast. She'd be speaking to them in their language, so she would baffle them. They'd never faced anything like this before. Hmm. And, of course, she took a, a basically a bankrupt nation. If you talk about a turnaround CEO, she turned everything sure. around. Yeah. And I just think to be – it's not just because she was a woman. It was just I look to people – who aren't given things on a silver platter. And somebody might say, well, she was you know, given the throne. Yeah, but her, her mother had been yeah. beheaded and her father yeah. was not exactly the role model one would run as a daddy. Um, and so I, I look to people who have inherited a ghastly situation and who've turned it around. That really impresses me, yeah. no mean, matter who it is. The political turmoil and for her to step into all of that and navigate it so effectively is... Well, and the I Spanish mean, Armada. It's remarkable. She, she, her speech at Tilbury, when mm. she said, I may have the body of a woman, but I have the heart and the spirit of a prince. Hmm. I mean, she, it, 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 that wasn't said in that era. No woman dared equivocate themselves no. to a man. And I just think yeah. that, that a female could motivate all these men who, if, if any, anybody in the world thinks there's any kind of prejudice at all, that, that how that was in that era hmm. is yeah. unspeakable. And so I think to come into a situation when everybody is prejudiced against you, I think is also very powerful. Yeah. At what could have been but some we could of do the a podcast patri about patriarchal society. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. We could right. do a whole podcast about that. And I think that's a waste of time. But <laughs> I think for anybody listening, what's important to think of is if you look to anybody that, that, that touches you, that had so much less than you did yeah. or came into an era where things were so much tougher for them and think about how they did it. Like I've, I've looked at and tried to read a lot about people that had less advantages than me and have accomplished a lot more than me. And what can I learn from them? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's use that as a good bridge to tell, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself, any, any historical notes that you think are interesting that somebody might not know about you if they pulled you up online and then, about what you do professionally. Yes, well, people may not be able to hear that I have an English accent. Well, actually, I'm not English anymore. I'm an American and I've lived here so long that it's an American accent. But friends insist that I still sound English. No, but we came to an America at a time when it was so dreadful in England and a lot of people left. It's called the Great Brain Drain. But when by the time my father was given a job and then we had to get our visas, in that six-month period, you can Google this, 1976, the pound plummeted hmm. by I think about a third and my family lost basically all the money from their home and the equity that at least they had and we we were coming to a better life we thought but it became worse and worse financially for us only because of the weakness of the pound and what had happened in yeah. England but you know there was there was really nothing left and I put myself through college with a with a full academic scholarship took out a loan for other things that I that I needed at the time and then I think that what's important is that I love this country and I get a bit frustrated with people that 
you know, as, as Reagan said, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Like, mm-hmm. like you can whine and complain about anything. Nothing is perfect. This nation is not a perfect nation. Yeah. But think of a solution and make it better. And don't just try to pull down other people and, 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 and create more anxiety and more problems instead of solving it. Let's solve it. And I just find myself being a solutions person. So I could, I think I could have sat around and whined about the fact that there wasn't the money and my parents didn't have the money to go to school. And, you know, but I, I, I chose not to. And I think that's what's important in life. The most important thing to me in life is what can you do in any situation to make it better? And I, years ago, had the privilege of being around Hank Haney, who was Tiger Woods yep. coach, no relative. I, Unfortunately, <laughs> I my golf game would 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 certainly be welcome if we were in some way, shape, or form well, related. distantly related. Distantly but sadly, related. no. But another Haney, now. another great Haney. Yes. And he was speaking at an event where I was the MC. So we all had a. Some of us had a dinner with him the night before, and somebody asked him, like, you know, how you know how how did you coach Tiger? And obviously, at that point in time, Tiger was the greatest golfer that the world had ever seen, and. He said that Tiger never asked him, how do I win the next tournament? Never Mm. asked him, how can I be the greatest golfer in the world? Never. The one thing Tiger asked him every time they were together was, how can I improve? And I use that word improvement. Mm. I just want to improve, whether it's listening to a different network from, from from my politics or listening to people that I disagree with just and then listening and trying to improve because I learned something from that and so my life has been about how can I help my children my clients and anybody I come in contact with how can I help them improve and how can I learn from them so I can improve and be a better person so I love what I do professionally if I didn't have to have money to support my children as a single mother I would just do it for nothing and you can hold me to this I hold every one of my friends to the fact that if I'm ever wealthy or ever have enough money to pay all my bills and all my kids college (laughs) educations and all the weddings and all that kind of thing once I've done that I would like to literally go into underprivileged areas where people have almost no hope or they think they have no hope and do all of my coaching in that arena to show them that all you need is you You don't need anything else. You don't have to have great parents. You don't have to have family backing or money. And I love to use examples of people that have come from nothing and made their way. Really nothing. And I love to, um, like, for example, I don't know if you've ever read um, the autobiography of Sidney Poitier. You know that his parents buried him. He was from the Bahamas, buried him in a box in the sand on the beach. That's how poor they were. They couldn't afford a funeral because he was like a two or three. Three, I can't remember, but like three pound baby. They just shoved him in a box on the beach because they thought he was dead. He wow. screamed in the night. The squealing was that they ran down to the beach because he was alive. And he fought and fought and fought. And you read his book. It's one of, actually, I, I, I listened, I kind of cheated, listened to it, books on tape, because my mummy used to live in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And we'd go on these long car trips down there. And yeah. I'd always look for books that I would be interested in, but would be, my kids would listen to. And that book was great because he fought and he got his way there. I mean, he did it sure. and you listen to wow. the people who um you know the, the the mother who and i'm trying to think now it's gone out of my mind it's it's a politician somebody whose mother he came from the oh i think it was um oh now he's the head of um hud um but he his his mother couldn't read and faked that uh, i don't believe in faking or, or or lying but she faked that she could read and she would make him read a book he was a surgeon the brain surgeon you know um it's Carson, yeah. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. His mother faked she could read, made him read a book a week, and like would go through with a red pen just making marks to fake it. She couldn't even read. Yeah. She took him to the library and got, got him books. I wish I was that great of a mother. 
<laughs> I didn't do that with my kids. Do you do that with your kids? <laughs> but I suggest no. that all of us look to people like that yeah. that bring up kids from nowhere. And she worked three jobs because she refused to take welfare. That's who I respect. No. And, and it's such a powerful point that I think in this kind of climate of not just political and social upheaval, but really, you know, a, a lack of really emphasizing what are foundationally necessary tools that everyone can use, regardless of one's station in life, regardless of one's industry, occupation, what have you, that not only allow you to, uh, you know, overcome certain obstacles, but thrive as a person and as a professional. I think it, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk of technology disrupting industries, and we don't think about what it looks like to be good at relationships anymore. We don't think about what it looks like to be productive in certain components and it's all socially. The same. And, and by the way, that, that has yeah. never changed. All technology exactly. does is enable the things that used to appeal to people. That's the That's biggest. Right. When, I, when I, All my training is about how you can have somebody else want whatever it is you are. For example, if you run an association, why would someone want to be a member? And you have to start from the basis point of no one cares about my association. Maybe people don't even know what it is or never even heard of it. And they don't want to be members. How can I make that person want to be a member? So my, my tagline is how to gain and retain clients. How can they, you want, how can you gain a new member, but how can you also retain the members? How do you gain and how do you retain members? Now you can't do it by selling to them. And my example always is a flat screen TV. So, you can go 3,500 miles anywhere in this nation and you'll find a flat screen TV. Now, did a salesman knock on your door? No. Did a salesman knock on anybody else's door? No. Did you get something through the mail? No. Did you get an email? No. Did you... Why do you have a flat screen TV? I would like everybody to think about listening to this right now. Why on earth do you have a flat screen TV? There's only one reason. You wanted it. Why do you have a cell phone? You wanted one. <laughs> no, nobody sold you these things. So what you need to do with your association, just like any business, make people want to be a member of your association. And then you work yeah. your way back from there. Not, and this is where I think a lot of businesses come at everything from the wrong angle. And technology is not going to change this. Technology yeah. enables when you've got the right angle and you have the right strategy and then you enable it and you promote it and you leverage technology for that. So why would someone want to be a member of your association? And you think, you, you have to start from the place they don't want. They either don't know, not aware yeah. of us, and they don't want to. How can I make that person want to be a member? Yeah. And then the generation of want is what you need to fuel. Well, and I think f for me, I look at even the financial industry, which is suffering considerably, not just in terms of a demographic shift, in terms of people coming into the industry versus people leaving the industry. It is woefully undiverse, and yet technology to me is just a tool right an opportunity it's it's, it's, it's to the, leverage it's the backroom thing that you use right it to way. leverage right right you and, don't and just maybe, shove it out there maybe also reach people that 10 or 15 years ago without the technology you couldn't reach the same way you can precisely yeah we talk a lot about how they say statistically 93 percent of buying decisions today are influenced by social media and technology which i completely agree with and so what a wonderful opportunity to generate want, doing it the right way. But like you said, understanding what the true value is and really living in somebody else's world before you try to get them to live in your own. And I exactly. think that that's kind of yeah. a lot of what 
I know you talk to people about in terms of whether you're speaking or client engagements and stuff like that. So talk a little bit more about what is a day in the life of your practice professionally? What are some of the main things that you work on with clients? So uh, what I do is it's one thing for one demographic. Anything that's a professional service, so an association, Mm -hmm. association, lawyers, accountants, architects, engineers, cyber, government contracting, as long as it's not, I I haven't been in the, you know, here's a widget, use this widget, um, and not in the product world. Right. And I certainly, I mean, I remember when Barney became so popular with the little kids that the purple dinosaur, if you ever (laughs) said to me, Hillary, your job is going to be what do little kitties like? I would never have known a purple dinosaur. So, so there's some things that I'm not. So, but I have spent, I used to head, um, global business development for KPMG and other global business development for global firms. So I have been in professional services for, you know, too many years that I'd like to really talk about a few of 30 uh, but um, I have worked with professionals so in an association you've got professionals representing an industry now it could be a product industry it could be a right. you know a airline tire industry it could be anything but they're talking to the leaders the professionals in that organization so it's generating want why would someone want to belong to your organization so to answer your question also now the other side what do, what does my day look like so i do a lot of keynote speaking for associations mm-hmm. um one coming up the society for the marketing professional services i've spoken to you you name an, an industry i've probably been whether it's an accounting industry at their association meetings and l- lawyers etc and normally i'm talking to the audience about again putting yourself in the shoes of somebody that hasn't heard of your association or was a member, left, or maybe is a member and is thinking of leaving and or what do you do to gain that new member and retain them? How can you do that? So then I work on the how. What is it you need to do? What is it you need to do to change? What is it you need to do to, what is your leadership team need to be thinking about and promoting that people will want to stay with your association, want to join your association? If you don't have that, you have basically nothing else. And something that actually fascinates me is when you look at corporate failings in America and you look Mm -hmm. at association failings in America, only 7% of any of the companies on the original NASDAQ were even there today. So you think of all the failings in our lifetimes, whether it's Woolworths or Pan Ams, these were bastions of of, of corporate America. And recently you look at, you know, modern companies, 21 forever. um, And then, you know, look at Toys R Us or Sears, Blockbuster. These were, I mean, there was, there was a time where everybody went to Sears for their washing machine. They were sitting on a gold mine, but they failed Mm -hmm. to see what people want. People want now to just be in their pajamas and not go anywhere or do anything and be able to click three buttons and get a washing machine delivered where they do nothing. So there was no one there looking at the top line, the business development, the growth. If you don't have that, and I know this is me, Hillary, sorry, but looking through the glasses of the way I look at the world, everything else follows. So all the corporate boards, the governance people, the auditors, the, the, the accountants, I don't mean to denigrate any other professions. But they come after you've made money. It's kind of like politics. If you look at all the failing states, they've all got these like, you know, rosy things they want to do for people. Lovely. I think those things are great. But if you don't have money and you're driving people away because you constantly raise taxes, it's, it's a race. People talk about a race to the bottom of lowering taxes. I talk about a race to the bottom of failure because yes. then there's nothing. You have to have money to be able to do pretty much anything. And if you try to get other people's money, they're going to run away. Same thing with associations. You need to grow and you have to have members paying dues. Otherwise, 
you are on the Titanic. And you're basically, as a leader, rearranging the deck chairs. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that there's a lot of the elements that you mentioned kind of at a very high level that these are conversations that I know association leaders are having every day. One, understand, you know, listening with the goal of understanding their market, maybe even in some respects, a brand new type of listening because, you know, so many times the challenge is to, if we're not effectively connecting, communicating, listening, and understanding, then we're really not going to figure this whole thing out. So how do I listen better? How do I have a more diverse approach? How do I also have diversity, not just within, but also without and attract diverse audience members in the demographics that I'm representing, right? And, and you mentioned it well, and When you mentioned diversity, one thing I've got a big issue about diversity. I don't think you should have diversity for diversity's sake because actually what it does do, and I'm a, I, I really think this, and I, I don't want to name political leaders or alienate, alienate anyone in the audience, but I think when you, I'll just speak as a woman, I'll just say, when I see a woman that's in a position mm-hmm. because she's a woman, I think it actually denigrates women. So I only want people, I want to have the opportunity. And I think that if you give people something where they don't deserve it, you get resentment from the very demographic you're trying to get garner acceptance from. Right. So for example, there's a there's an organization that's trying to promote women on boards. And I keep saying to them, What's, don't tell people you have to have women on boards. Forget having women on boards. Point to the financial success of all the companies that do have women on their boards. Right. Because what do people want? They want financial success. So you leave with the want. They want the financial success. Oh, by the way, the reason is X. So I agree, a diverse opinion, if it's going to make a company grow. Yeah. Actually, I think a lot of us, many people have know and data proves and the data proves and the data proves that yes diversity can make you grow but lead with that don't lead anything with we should be diverse i think it's politically correct and i think it's nice but i don't think it's what necessarily the leadership in place wants so if you're an organization that wants to grow look at all the components that will make you grow Mm -hmm. and actually diversity will help that but you need to go at it from an angle that the existing audience is going to accept Otherwise, you just alienate them. They shut down and or you don't achieve your ultimate goal. Well, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, one of the things I've written several articles recently on this, you know, the concept of tokenism that you just identified, right? Yes. That that that's it defeats the whole purpose. First of all, people can tell that you're box checking when you yes. do that. Right. You don't have people in places as a token. You have them because they're really good. Then that helps that demographic even more. Condoleezza Rice, there's a good example. She mm. was absolutely outstanding. No one ever said, oh, and, you know, George Bush Sr. obviously had more people of color in his administration even than Obama. I don't want, I want to stay away from politics, but, of course, the mainstream media doesn't tell you that, but <laughs> no, 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 but, but, but the point is, why? He just had good people there. He wasn't saying, well, he had people because they were good. And that's what I think we need to focus on because that rises up, That sorry, that raises up those really good people. You raise them up because they're good and you hold them as a torch of light to inspire other people. When you give someone as a token, the demographic that you're trying to persuade literally says, there we go again. I think if you separate out just the box checking to that you mentioned making the business case. What was interesting to me, an article that I just released focused on how powerful of a business case exists to the point where Thomson Reuters has their own diversity and inclusion investment index, something that hasn't existed in decades. 
proving, and if you look at the performance of that index compared to a general market index like the S&P 500, it outperforms. So interestingly enough, there's an absolute verifiable financial financial reason. My question is, because I I didn't know that. So what they're doing, you're saying that they're rating it on the performance of the company, but afterwards they're looking, oh, they happen to be diverse companies, not do they have have a diverse... They they have an amazing diversity metrics, which we could do an entire session on all of the various elements as to what makes up their, their metrics. It is fascinating. And, and, and so really they're digging into the identity of a diversely built top down, bottom up, you name it, left and right. But not for the sake of diversity. They're looking at the financial performance and then they're, they're saying, Oh yeah, that's good. It's it's, it's a remarkable thing. That's objective. That's objective. That's not with an agenda. So that's, that's, I guess what I think you shouldn't have an agenda going into something. You just say what makes it successful. And it could, could be anything. It could be anything, but what makes it successful? And again, that links to want, how do you generate want? How do you, how do you, you can't become successful if people don't want your service or they don't want your association. You simply can't, they have to want it. So if it is having a diverse view that creates whatever aspects of it is that makes it um, the audience want it, then yes, that works. Apple's one of the big examples. They, they, they've eliminated uh, disequity in pay. So they've instituted pay equality. Men, women, demographics don't come into play. And this is true domestically, overseas. It's fascinating just to kind of see organizations that I think embrace that as their, part of their ethos, mm-hmm. right? We, as an organization, this is representing us from a value standpoint, from a, from a market development, from every component. It's yes. not, oh, we now have to do this because everybody's telling us it's the right thing to do. Are they going to start making their products in America and not China too? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not we'll, take all their money we'll, offshore as we'll, well. We'll, and, we'll and see about that. Yeah. But, it, but at least understanding that, that, you know, when, when an organization really does want to, because that's their part. They have to want to as well. Yes. You know, the market forces will be what the market forces are. The organizations that will thrive recognize that it won't just be market forces telling them what to do, but the closer that they adopt it from a leadership st- standpoint on down, that's when you really see those organizations transform themselves yes. and be things that people do want to be a part of. Because mm-hmm. that is something that's attractive, I think, Yes, is, is when you really recognize a company, an organization, membership, privately owned, whatever it is, you can tell when they are trying to be uh, genuine in their efforts to not just provide a product or service that somebody wants to pay for, but really represent, I think, the culture from a from a diversity standpoint and from a an equity standpoint. And let's hope they have really, diverse views now from now yeah. on as well. That would be good. Yeah. yeah. And 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 so and you and I think that you you kind of frame the concept of equity without saying it in those words, where it's something about everybody gets has equal value and has the opportunity for equal input. Everybody opportunity, has opportunity. A place they have at the to table. do it themselves. Absolutely. They have to do it themselves, but it should be equal. There's no the the, the one thing we're all in control of. I always love that expression. We can't control what happens to us. We can only control our response, no right. matter what it is. And right. you know, again, I'll look at somebody like like Bill Clinton came from a trailer park basically and you know, his mother was I mean, it was awful. I mean, no father around and but look what he made of his life, regardless of your politics, and you can disagree with all his politics or how he behaved, but he made it himself. 
Sure. And to me, it again, it's not the adversity with which, which we face. It's how do you choose to deal with it. And I think the only thing that's really in our power, we're born the color we are. We're born the gender we are. Mm-hmm. We're born the shape in a, to, a, to a degree <laughs> or how tall we are. But you totally and utterly within your control is how hard you work. And then again, linked to what I do, how you generate want. Yes. How you approach other people and how you can generate want is 100% in your control. Well, and talk about if you were to walk through some of the basic elements of want, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you would want people to become equipped with in order to be successful in doing exactly Mm -hmm. that? What are some of those foundational building blocks? uh, uh, So if you look at it as a pyramid with want at the top, I always say want is a golden triangle. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big graphics person, but I always say it has to be golden because it's like the golden rule. It always works. Right. There is no time when it doesn't work. So, so there are three components of it. One of those components is likability, but only the opposite of it. In any kind of professional services, with a membership, uh, with, a, with a, an association, if people dislike whatever it is about anything, they're not going to do it. So let's look at an example. Let's look at what Jeff Bezos said about Amazon years ago before it turned profitable. Before, and everybody can point to it now and say, oh, it works. Nobody did when he was running a loss for so many years. And I remember reading one time in the Washington Post and he said, we just give customers what they want. And that's when I started really focusing on this want, want, want. If you just give someone what they want, they like it. You only want things you like. <laughs> Name me anything. I always do this to an audience. I've spoken you know, 1,200 um, partners at BDO in their annual global partners meeting. I said, raise, will one person in this room raise their hand, tell me something they want that they dislike. Now, actually, you know, you might, you might say, well, I want to be slim and I dislike working out or, you know, but you still, so what I call it, there's an ultimate want. There's, a, there's sure. also a hierarchy of want, like, you know, you know, do you want your children in the moment to dislike you when you tell them to go to bed or you tell them to do their homework versus watching a movie and eating candy? They'll dislike you in that moment, but you're, you don't want them to dislike you, but your ultimate want is that they succeed. Right. So you, every corporation every organization needs to look out what is our ultimate want what is our negotiable want and what do all our people have to do to get people to want to be members so i'll just give you a so let's just take an example a tactical example Mm -hmm. so in the likability in that pyramid under there one of those five c's and there are five c's that are the blocks that generate the three things that that establish want one of the five C's that generates and co- co- contributes to likability is your form of communication. Mm-hmm. Your communication, and I don't mean by communication, chatting like, hey, Brian, how are you? I mean, how do you communicate with people? Is it all about you or Very is it good. about them? Yeah. So every single one of your people, if everybody listening to this podcast right now, every CEO goes back to their association and says to the employees, there's going to be a 10 second window we, we will shut down the internet during this time or give you the opportunity to, you know, have the honor code that you won't Google anything. We need in 10 seconds a response from you. What are the three things that must always go in an email when you reach out to any prospective member, any member? We should always communicate. And what are the three things you should never put in an email? I think most people would panic in that situation. Why? Because they don't know. So here's my, my premise. I think everybody listening now, because actually they're spending some time educating themselves, so that's a definite. Everybody listening now wants to do well at work. Mm-hmm. I think probably, 
in my life, I think almost every professional I've ever been in front of in every audience wants to do well at work. Now, they may not love their job, but no one gets up in the morning and looks in that mirror in the bathroom and says, I want to lose my job. I want to have no money. I want to be kicked out of my place of abode. I want to have no (laughs) holidays. I want to have no vacations that I can pay for. I don't want a car. I don't want to be able to retire. I don't want to buy groceries. No one's ever said that. No one. This is an absolute. They want more money. They want to be promoted. They, they want to do well in life. Mm-hmm. But the only reason I think people don't succeed to the potential that they could, even if they really are trying hard and working hard, they don't know what to do. You have to coach them. You have to give them training mm-hmm. on what to do. Yeah. If they know what to put in every email, what to do in every conference call, what to do in every meeting, what to do in every presentation, it's human engineering. And the where I got that term from, I once sat in front of a... CEO of a very small engineering firm and he actually stood there one of his people brought me in and she said Hillary she said he's just so terrible with the people he's a brilliant engineer he's a lovely man I work with him I really 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 like him he's such a good guy but he doesn't know what to do with all his people so I walked into his office and he said to me in his American accent he said I know I need to water the plants I just don't know how and I didn't know what he was talking about I was thinking like I, I'm not into, I, I, I'm into gardening at my home, but I'm not into, I don't know what he means in the office. I didn't know what he meant about what he meant, the plants. And then I realized that those were his people because he hired like these people that were kind of like him. Anyway, he actually sat at his desk. I started my company 17 years ago. He sat at his desk with a pencil and paper and actually said to me, just give, he wasn't into any fluff with me. He didn't want to chat. He just said, as I walked in the room, Hillary, give me the rules for humans. And I thought, that's it. That's great. It's human engineering. There are rules. There are 100%. It doesn't matter what culture. Now, here's my proof for anybody listening. Here's my proof that things work. Hollywood does not make mistakes. Now, I'm not talking about their politics, but I'm talking about they don't make mistakes. And I ask every audience, think of a movie that everybody in here has seen. Everybody. And it used to be, I'd say, Jaws. Everybody had seen Jaws. To this day, most people have seen Jaws. And I use the example of the, 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 the businessman on the beach who wants the beaches open. How many people left that movie and said to their buddy, you know, I think, I think like the patrolman beach guy, I, I think he was the bad guy. I, I think the businessman was the good guy. Like how many people? Because you don't make mistakes. So what happened? He walked up in like an obnoxious suit. He's, he's brash. He's rude. He's uncaring. They make you. Okay. I used to always used to use the example of the sound of music. You know, how many people walked out of the sound of music and said, wait a second, wait a second. Wasn't Maria the mean one? I thought the Baroness was the nice one. Like, no one is confused <laughs> in movies. Why? Because Hollywood uses human engineering to manipulate you, Brian, the audience. That's right. We all walk out knowing who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. Here's a good, another good example. Pretty woman. I think probably everybody listening, and, and no offense to prostitutes, but probably everybody listening... If I said to you with your family values and everybody's family values, look, I'm going to give you a movie where by the end you are rooting for the hooker. You want this hooker to succeed. You're rooting for her. Your whole body and your spirit is behind this woman. I think it would give people pause. You watch that movie and you're like, oh, yeah, the scene where she's on the balcony and you're crying. So here's my point. Hollywood knows what to do. I always say to companies, why is it, let's just say an association, let's say we've got, I don't know, the Association of Accountants. I always say, when you have an opportunity in front of a client, why doesn't your accounting firm go down the street, go to the local actors guild and get people to come in and act? 
to really care about the, 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 the prospective clients. Yeah. Why don't they do that? Because what they need is the technical content. So likability isn't enough. That's right. If people dislike you, you go no further. But just because people like you, and this is a big mistake, actually, that a lot of like the insurance and banking industry and a lot of people used to make, they used to think, well, we'll take people out golfing. We'll spend a lot of money on the dinner. They'll do business with us. But if they dislike you, it doesn't, they, what doesn't mean to say that they'll never do business with you. Now, if somebody is brilliant technically, now here's a good example. You raised the issue of Apple. So many people have raised me when we've gone through my training. They're like, but what about Steve Jobs? What about Steve Jobs? He was so obnoxious. People say that Obviously, you know, he didn't like people. He was rude to his people. He was mean to his people. And he didn't give hardly, you know, didn't give much to charity. I mean, he was, you know, not, not exactly the good, right. the best soul. He wasn't exactly giving free iPhones away. That was for certain, nor computers for no. certain, somewhat <laughs> hypocritical. But anyway, how come, people always ask me, well, how come he was so successful? If all your principles are right. And you know what I say? Because he had a corner on the market. If your accounting firm has the only accounting principles in the entire world that are going to work to save people money on taxes mm -hmm. or whatever it is. If your association has something that no one else in the world does, you can treat people abominably. You know what? They're just going to join. You go to an Apple store, you know those people are you know, rude. They don't take care of you. You try to get service there. You know, it's all atrocious. But we all have iPhones. Why? Because what's the alternative? So that's the issue. The issue is unless you can corner the market technologically, or in your competence, and you're the only company in the world with that expertise. So if you're a law firm, there is a race to the bottom with legal fees. If you're an accounting firm, there is a race to the bottom with accounting fees. You're basically a commodity now. How are you going to differentiate yourself? So the key yeah. to what I do is to teach differentiation by making people want you. Five components of three ways to have people want to be a member. You mm -hmm. cannot have anything without a fundamental competency that's one of the second that's the second c a fundamental competency in what you do and it has to be off the charts good the problem is unless you've cornered the market there's somebody else who has the same competence and if anybody listening thinks well a member of my association is the only one with that well then they don't need to belong to your association do they? That's true and that's the issue. It's differentiation through generating want. Unless you've cornered the market and there's nowhere else to go. It's why Google can be 100% biased in their search engine because there's nowhere else to go. So what are people going to do? If you can see, you can see it's biased. You know it's biased. Try to look up any subject. You can't get the alternate view on it. You cannot. But where are you going to go? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also, you know, a lot of what you're talking about also flows very effectively through the understanding of brand recognition, right? A brand people can recognize that, you, but they that, don't necessarily want you. Because right. brand recognition, people talk about branding all the time. Everybody knew the Sears brand, but they chose not to go there. True. Brand recognition yeah. doesn't sell anything. It just puts you in the arena right. where people can choose whether they want you. But you're right. Without brand recognition, people won't even know to go there. Well, and, and, and how it's brand you now, like you're talking about industries where if, if, if you're in an industry that is experiencing massive commoditization for a variety of forces, which is and basically factors, everything now, pretty much, then the opportunity for you to stand out and have a meaningful way to distinguish yourself is critical. Yes. And that's where I think that that concept of a brand has now almost been personalized to a, to a significant degree. Really, you know, someone like myself in a financial industry where there's hundreds of us that mm -hmm. deliver the products and services, advice, et cetera, how is it that we're going to be able to make a name for ourselves and offer something that's unique? And so it's not just 
you know, well, I work with such and such a company and they're great. And I, I work with Fidelity and I work with this mutual and I work with... That's part those of... Are, those but that's are, credentialing. That's not enough. That's exactly. credentialing. That yeah. actually is part of your competency. But, right. and how you communicate that, that's very important. But still, one of the biggest mistakes that big brands do, and I've seen this over and over and over again, they'll come to me when they lose like a major proposal or a major issue because somebody who's never done anything like this, and I'll give you an example. It was a construction firm that lost... And they were the construction firm for hospitals, the construction firm. And they lost a huge opportunity to a no-name construction firm who had never, ever done a hospital renovation. Hmm. So I got hold, was able to get hold of them. They showed, showed me, because I guess they were, they were given it, the proposal of the supposing firm. So here's what they did. The company that had all the expertise, they went in and said, we've been doing this for 188 years. And, and, and we did, when they give all the list of all the hospitals they've done, it was all about them. It was all about mm -hmm. them. It was what I call navel gazing. So their commu the communication, <laughs> see, their communication was about themselves, yes. not about their prospect. What did the no-name construction firm, little construction firm, come in and do? They managed to get plans, because this was a renovation of the hospital, of the old hospital before there'd been a fire, there'd been different renovations. They gave all these photographs of how the hospital was, the renovations, mm. what had happened. And they made every single thing in terms of you, 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 instead of me, 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 us, 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 yep. us. They don't care about you. And they don't care about your association. They don't. If you're listening to this, they don't. Nobody cares about your association. They care about what your association will do for them. Yep. So this construction firm was baffled. We managed to turn around. They won now they have a great track record. We managed to turn around the way that they approached everything. I said, remove all that stuff about who you are and all your people and all your... Now, put it in terms of the customer, like take an RFP, take something that somebody sends you, take every column of what they want and put your what you want to say about your company in their terms. For example, if they're a hospital that's been around for 150 years, okay, you're around 188 years. Say, given our longevity... We understand your hospital, not we've been around for 188 years. They don't care. So if you're an association leader listening to this right now, think about what would your prospective members, what would they want from you? Your current members, what can you give them more of to retain them? That's what they want. So we talked about the communication. See, mm -hmm. everything has to be in the way that they want it. We talked about the competency, the competency of what you deliver. You have to be experts in the industry. Nobody, somebody can like you all they want from day in, day out. We all have friends we like. We would, in fact, invite them to our Super Bowl party. We would invite them to maybe <laughs> our kids' birthday party. You've got a fraternity brother or a sorority sister, even your neighbor you really like and you invite them over. Doesn't mean to say you'd invest your money with them doesn't mean to say you'd have them be your accountant, right. your lawyer, your banker. You may like them, but they may not be technically competent. So you've got to have that technical competency. Mm -hmm. And your association has to prove to prospective members and current members that you are the fountain of technical competence for them or knowledge. Or if they're not looking for that from your association, so be it. But that would be for professionals very important. Well, and it, you're, 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 you continue to reinforce kind of that element of, the the better you understand your audience it's all about that that's where the magic really happens and in that's terms the of connection delivering C. value yeah right? that's the connection see yeah. you can't connect with somebody if you don't understand anything about them right where are you from how are you doing what you're doing um you know what is your target demographic so that i can help you with your audience every single thing is about connecting with that person which is about asking questions and listening to them 
Once you know everything about a person, you can connect with them. You can find a, a, a way to connect with them. And I, I give the example of many years ago, I went to an alumni reception, KPMG alumni reception. And there was a female partner from years ago that I had seen. And, you know, she gained a lot of weight. And, you know, we, as we get older, you know, people can gray. And I think she dyed her hair, but it came out like a weird color, like sort of purpley color. So, you know, you can't say to someone like that, gee, you know, I love you. I love your hair. But I'm one of those people I just love bows on shoes I love like creative shoes and she had this gorgeous fantastic pair of shoes on I remember saying to her I love your shoes like find something gen you have to find something that's genuine I'm a golfer it is so easy for me to connect with anybody who's a golfer because I'm a golfer we talk about golf I would be a total fake and phony if I heard someone goes fishing I don't know what to say about fishing I don't yeah. now so it is about them but I'd be fake and phony if, if I ask and then they somehow something comes up about fishing. I, I try to steer away because I don't even know what to say about fishing. I, yeah. I, I don't know the first thing. If they're a golfer, I can hold a conversation with them. I can ask them more questions and drill down. Then I've done a lot of coaching with young women in like women's initiatives. And the young women will always, the hand goes up, whether it's lawyers, accountants, you name it, cyber, unit, IT, government. Content, and the question I always get will be, I'm a young woman starting in business and my clients are older, you know, men. And what do I, you know, what do I say? What can I, and I always say, you know what you can ask every single man in business, apart from the fact you should always ask about their families and wives, you know, older, you know, you know, how long do you have, how many children do you have? Do you have children? Show that you're interested in the family and there's nothing else going on. But one of the other things you can always ask, always ask if you're a young person, doesn't matter actually if you're just a woman, if you're a male, doesn't matter what race, what religion, what, what gender, what, what you are. Ask them, well, how did you get started in your business? Such a great question. How did you, how did you, uh, you know, have you been in accounting your entire career or, you know, where did you go? Where did you go to school? What did you do during school? Did you, did you have an internship? Did you work afterwards? Did you, how did you get your job in that era? Ask them questions because I I've never met anybody in over 30 years in business who says, I'm not going to tell you where I went to school. That's not a question the way that, that's not an answer <laughs> to the question. Where did you go to school? When they say where I went to school, say, oh, did Clemson have a good football team in that era? Or, you know, were you a, right. are you still a Clemson football fan? Or, you know, you ask them about them. You don't say, they're not interested. How about this? The people that lead with, especially the presentations I see, I ask any company to sh or any association, show me your deck. They always say, well, we have a deck. The deck is, well, we did this and we did this and we did this. It's, it's difficult sometimes when you're giving a presentation to have it not be about them. But if you've done your diligence before you go in, you make it all about them. Yes. You're reinforcing that point of if you, if you stand up your intended target audience and make that the center and then build your practices around that, you'll have optimal chances for success. You'll be, be able to better communicate. You'll actually have a brand value. That is something that some that people would find appealing, attractive, and want to be a yes. part of. And what and they, all people find appealing, attractive, I always say people like baffle about. Okay, what what about this person? Let's figure this person out. <laughs> How about some human nature truths? I talk about Hollywood. Yeah. Okay, and I, I'll do this with an audience. Raise your hand if you like dishonest people. No, nobody <laughs> does. So, candor. That's one of the other. I said there's five C's. Candor is another C. Be candid in all things. Honesty right. is the best policy. You forget to send an email, you're late. One of my favorite words, and maybe this is kind of the English vocabulary thing, but I use the word remiss. I'll say, Brian, I, in fact, I was late following up with you with something. And I said, so sorry, I've been remiss in not responding mm -hmm. sooner. You don't have to have excuses. You don't have to say, I've got three kids and I'm a single mom and I did this and I've been at the dentist and my, my leg hurts. and my. They don't care. But just apologize. Yeah. Be honest, but don't say, oh, Brian, you know, my assistant should have sent you that. 
so sorry she messed up. I mean, the amount of times I see people blame other people or they use, they use a mundane excuse or they waffle on with too much of an excuse. It doesn't matter. Apologize. Mm-hmm. You're done. So there's lots of rules like that. I've never heard anybody say to me, gee, I'd love 20 more emails and I'd love to read an email that's like war and peace. Just doesn't happen. <laughs> Would you like one of those? No. And I've seen people who'll send like a paragraph, a dense right. paragraph with 10 thoughts in it. No, bullet it out and put headlines. Well, yeah, absolutely. So and- I can, I work a lot with, now we do so much of our communication is conducted through email. What does an email look like that somebody wants to receive? You know, right now, sitting there, everybody listening to this, you know, you pick up your phone after a meeting or during the day numerous times, and you know, you're at your desk and you see emails. We all see emails. You know, the ones you're going to quickly respond to, you're going to open. You know, right now, when your stomach sinks, there's a certain email from a certain person or a certain demographic or so, and you're just like, oh, what's in that email that you don't like? That There's no magic source to and, 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 and brilliance to determining what it is people want. They want what you want. That's why Hollywood doesn't make mistakes. Hollywood doesn't make a movie that is one thing for Long Island and another thing for Wichita and another thing for Virginia. Human nature's the same. <laughs> Even cross cultures, it's the same. Now, there are aspects of certain movies that different people like, but the principles of human nature don't change. Right. They don't change. And that's the mistake you mentioned earlier, Brian. You were totally right. Technology is a disruptor, but it hasn't changed fundamentally human nature. Exactly. Why is it that texting works so well? Because actually, people don't want to have war and peace. How, how are you? Brian, sure. what time are we going to be there? Are you there? Yes, 7.30. What do you want? Did you want to have, would you like to hear about my entire morning before we got together? Eat. I love my children. I don't need to know what they have for breakfast this morning. Even though I'm really into nutrition. Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Depends on what they say, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, back before texting, there was instant messenger. And why that became so popular was just the exact same yeah. premise. Get to the point. We Get can, to the point. We can have effective communication that doesn't have to be this drudgery. And it's also concentrated on the things that people value and are important. Now, the only thing I will say in recognition of technology that has changed about human nature fundamentally, and actually we could get into a whole discussion. It's not what this podcast is about. It's about how technology is affecting the brain is that attention spans are shorter. Right. If you watch, I've noticed with, 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 with my children and also even in a movie theater, that movies and television and our entire digestion of all communication is so much faster. That's right. There were old movies like books. I mean, Dickens took, you know, five pages to get to the point because they were describing everything. It was rich in description. Now, if you look at a movie, it's boom de boom de boom Not even an, an uh, even, what, what is it called if it's not an action-packed movie? A non-action movie? But <laughs> even movies that aren't action-packed movies, shoot 'em up bang em ups they still move quickly. Older movies, they took a long time to oh, get yeah. to kind of the point. The same thing in business. Your email needs to get to the point. Right. Your presentation needs to get to the point. This is no longer the letter. This is no longer each having lunch with each other over a six-month period and getting to know each other. It's bangity, 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 bang. Well, and you know, the point that we try to communicate a lot is how long before you can skip an ad? Think about that length of time, right? Mm-hmm. That's the period of time in which you're trying to make sure that somebody is either going to connect to whatever it is you're saying or is going to just move right on. Exactly. Yeah. So what if there was a cautionary tale that you would share to the audience, anyone that you've seen um, in the last, say, six months or you know, year or so, 
that stands out more than anything else, what would, what would that cautionary tale be and how can we also help address it? Well, you've actually mentioned it, we've touched it a lot, but I think the biggest, this is a big global problem, but I saw it last week and I see it all the time. It's when leaders want to do things and it's human nature the easy way. They think, I've had actually somebody say to me last week, oh, we've got a CRM system. Well, all that CRM systems do (laughs) is automate pencil and paper. Right. So your employees, your professionals, or your if you're sitting on top of an association listening to this, your people still need to do the doing. That just keeps track of what they've done. Right. So you can't expect technology, even the technology, ping them, ping them. Well, people don't like that and they unsubscribe. So you need to have the things that people want being pushed out there. You need to determine what that is before you just say technology is just going to enable it for me. That's great. Yeah. All right. If there's any final shout outs that you want to make for us, who yes. should we give a shout out to? The shout out I'd like to give to is actually Easter Seals does so does so much for veterans, elderly, handicapped people. I've been on the board for many years and I'm yeah. chairing the Easter Seals Advocacy Awards this year in April, April 29th. And what's really important about this organization is you listening to this, you are not going to avoid growing old. And when you're elderly, your family may need the support to help you. And that is one of the things ESA Seals does. I think everybody listening should also be grateful for our safety. Our veterans provided for that. Amen. A lot of them aren't redeployed Absolutely. or they come back with injuries. Somebody needs to help them get ready for the commercial marketplace. Somebody needs to take care of yeah. them. Somebody needs to help their families. We have the Little Warrior Program where the kids that are dragged around to NIH and that we actually have a program for them. We also help underprivileged and, and children with needs. So there's lots of things that Easter Seals does. And our gala is one of the events in Washington. So much fun. National Building Museum honoring Bobby Kilberg, who put technology on the map in Northern Virginia and also Amazon Web Services for what they're going to be doing for this region and what they've already done in terms of helping our region. And also to... Um, Admiral Mullen, Admiral Mullen obviously served our nation and we should all be grateful for the peace and prosperity under which we do live. And as we all know, I mean, I I always used to say we'd all be doing the goose step if it wasn't for the military and we would be. Sure. Yeah. How does somebody get a hold of you? They can go to Strelmark. It's my um, website. Uh, I'm the only Hillary Fordwich on the web with one L, Hillary. (laughs) Hillary Fordwich, only one of me on the web and you can find Strelmark and I'd be glad to come in, deliver a keynote or help you determine how you can have people want to be a member of your organization and to stay with your organization for the long term. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Hillary. Appreciate You're welcome, it. Brian. Great seeing you again. Great. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA